Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of the Rabona podcast. I, Musa Kwonga, no longer indisposed and back here with Ryan Hun. Hi, Ryan. Hello, mate. And Michael as well, of course. We'll be discussing, to start with, the top four in the Premier League, the top four reckoning. Everything's changed. How long have you been away? I feel like you've been away. An eternity. It's been... Mate, it's all changed since you've been away. Three weeks. Do you want to know what's happened? I, go on, fill me in. I started watching Game of Thrones. You're enjoying it? Uh, it's all right. The hesitation says it all. I mean, I think it is. I'm only a few episodes into season one. Oh, well that that season one is a pretty solid season, I have to say. Well, the problem is Game of Thrones is once you've parodied it, you can't see it again. The writing is not as strong as it was at the very beginning. I heard there's a a Starbucks cup in the latest episode. You're joking? No, a Starbucks cup. Yeah, stick I've, stick a fork in it. It's done. Is, I haven't seen any dragons yet either. I don't want any spoilers, but will no there spo- be dragons? No, no spoilers. <laughs> there be dragons. No, no spoilers. I, I won't give any spoilers, but I'm disappointed in that. I mean, I've basically been away for three weeks, but I've kind of been utterly off the grid. Oh, uh, so you've not seen any of the new, of the recent episodes? Very, then? very little. Very little. Oh, wow. Been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You picked a good time to stay off Twitter. I'm out of the loop. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> you also picked a good time to dodge the football. Well, yeah, well, I From did. a Man United perspective. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been playing football since the PSG game, to be honest. That's another story. Um, I'll tell you where that other story is. On many previous podcasts we have recorded. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. Which I must catch up on. Look, I've been no, out I of the reach. I think you were on them. In my defence, I've been out of the reach of Wi-Fi for much of my three weeks away. Um, I was very far north in Uganda, where I haven't been for 35 years, seeing family, which was quite emotional. But internet coverage up there, unless you've got like very expensive mobile data, is intermittent. Okay. It's the thing. All Norths are the same. It's wild how to be a Northerner in Uganda is actually very similar to be a Northerner in, in the UK, for example. Does everyone, does everyone call you a duck? Uh, yeah, the equivalent of duck. Yeah, we, You're we, right, duck? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of duck. I don't know what the word is for duck up there, but it's a similar thing, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's another thing about Game of Thrones. It's parodied the Northerners like 
crazy already. Yeah, I mean, Sean gets, Bean or it gets a lot more. They parody them a lot more. I keep expecting basic... to rock up in the Rovers. Yeah, <laughs> flat cap and a whippet. Yeah, I, I mean, those dogs. Those dogs are basically whippets. Not the usual Ned. Not the <laughs> <laughs> bowl of gruel. Sorry, no. <laughs> so we are going to talk about football. I promise you, this is not a Game of Thrones podcast. It could be, but it won't be. I don't know enough about Game of Thrones. I don't know enough about football anymore. I've realised. Well, I don't either because I just when I think I've got a hand on what's happening in football, it throws me a curveball. Do you know what? Actually, in my short time in the football media landscape, I've realised that none of us actually know that much about anything that's going on. And if more of us were all right with that, the whole football landscape would be a much more pleasant place to be. There's a great tweet uh diana christine who is both a barcelona and a liverpool fan um i think diana's based in romania but is a fervent supporter of both teams so for her obviously watching liverpool and barcelona recently has been oh, a contrasting experience that's been tough there's an amazing pinned tweet on the top of her page which basically says modern football finds permanent solutions to temporary problems which leads to extremism and yeah. i think that's really amazing because it really sums up a lot of this season you know look at chelsea for example there was a team Oh, get rid of Sarri. He's awful. Doesn't know what he's doing. Effectively, Chelsea have finished third this year. I mean, he's gotten back in the Champions League for sure. And, and after all the talk of they've worked out Jorginho and this and that and the squad, and he's not using Hudson Odoi enough, actually, hasn't Sarri done a fantastic job? Really, under the circumstances, he's got things wrong, but. You well, know. I think this is an argument that we can extend to a lot of wider stuff in football. You know, there aren't that many trophies to win. No. And if it was six teams qualifying for the Champions League and the Premier League, would, Which it, might have be been, one day. would yeah. it have been all right all along? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually, about how, how f a lot of football is gauged, uh, probably rightly, on just the trophy thing. But also I think that's a little bit short-sighted in a way because like, so much about it is the process. Yeah. And no team can win everything every year. Amazing example. United win the Europa League, beating Ajax. A couple of years later, who the hell would swap Ajax's position for United's. Who would swap it? Think about it. The way they built that team. Ajax don't have the money behind them, yes. But Ajax just carried on developing, carried on building. You know, obviously United won the trophy and the Europa League was a great achievement. It's a great achievement in any era, don't get me wrong. But sometimes trophies can paper over cracks. Do you know what I mean? You win a cup, you win a trophy here and there. Look at Madrid. Madrid have won three Champions Leagues and we know that Madrid are about the Champions League but if they were that happy, they'd have kept maybe some of the regime in place, but they're not. Mm. Because they know fundamentally that, you know, if you look at the first of the Champions Leagues, okay, it was Wolfsburg in the semi, then the quarters, sorry, and then um, City in the semi. And they, 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 they won, you know, three Champions Leagues on the bounce. You can't dispute that achievement. It's magnificent. But at the same time, there is that desire, that craving for longevity. And that longevity is what, you know, Sarri is going to struggle if he loses Hazard. But he'll find a way. And Pochettino will struggle if he loses a couple of players. But these are great coaches who'll find a way. And I think, I like what you've said about there's only a limited number of trophies. It reminds us that football is about more than the silverware. If it was just about the silverware, Mourinho would still be there. We're going off on a little bit of a tangent. A little bit, but you know. But we'll allow this it. is one of the things that deeply concerns me about talk of a European Super League or reforming the Champions League to fulfil the needs or the wants of directors at certain football clubs is that in my honest opinion, it should be going completely the other way. Football, in my opinion, needs to be more cyclical. I think that teams should peak and trough and that should be okay. And Absolutely, yeah. 
you see it in the NBA a lot, teams know that they're not in the right timeline, so they get rid of their best players and then rebuild. And that can just recalibrate the goals or or the expectations for clubs. And actually, Klopp is a prime example about giving managers time. He didn't qualify for the Champions League in his first season at Liverpool, and he hasn't won a trophy since he's been there. They're on course for their best ever Premier League finish, and they still might not win the league. Here's a great example, actually. You're right, Klopp's a great example, because you look at him... And to me, there's no dispute that he's done a brilliant job. Incredible. To the point where I think that Liverpool, whatever happens this season, I think they'll win two of the next three league titles. The reason I say that is not because City won't strengthen, they will. It's because Liverpool have a level of resilience that reminded me of, and I, I, I hesitate to use United as an example. You know, before United won their first league title in 92, they had a bit of a dress rehearsal where they lost out. And the next year they came back. Mm. And I think there's something similar going on there with United where you're always at the races and Liverpool are so good that they're always going to be at the races. Next year, Chelsea struggling Spurs. What Klopp has to do, and I'm sure he's doing already, is just get the rebuild going. Mm. Keep signing players. Fabinho's coming to his own. And there's also players like Cater who are yet to have a full season under their belt who are going to blossom next year. So there's no reason why they can't be the leading force, because Guardiola, frankly, the only thing that really is keeping Liverpool from the summit right now is an extraordinary Manchester City with Guardiola at his peak, but that is not going to last any more than three, four years. And when that, when that ends, Liverpool have the structures to be dominant again. I, I absolutely believe that. The thing about the Premier League is that there's so much wealth in there that yeah. any slip up means that there's another team waiting to come into that. Absolutely. That... um top six if you like if it used to be a for top sure. four yeah yeah and then it became now, a top sure. five and then it's a top six and there are a lot of teams waiting below that yeah that um you know a major mishap from any of those top six and they could be seventh. right in there of course i mean may, maybe we should talk should about man united and arsenal or we could go to the city though maybe just quickly yeah the city one actually, yeah. so we'll get to, we'll get to the city victory very quickly not much to say really but it's as you were at the top of the premier league as you were city won one nil great strike from vincent company who actually a little bit of a name drop um a very good friend of mine used to play in midfield with vincent company at anderlecht in his youth days so what's fascinating was the strike that company uh you know unleashes against leicester a couple of people on twitter saying i didn't know he had that in his locker but i was first familiar with company as as playing in that role he did on some uh, old editions of Football Manager well there we go that. but he's just such a great footballer he's great what's fascinating is how they stood off him though I thought that was quite interesting too yeah because was, they've been played yeah. they've been played through so often Leicester they step back and I, I said this on Twitter but the speed the shot gets off the ground I think comment the commentator was who said that shot was hit and it stayed hit and I like this such a perfect do you know what this is another example of do you remember my shots like that only ever go in theory True, 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 true. Good point. And it's in off the crossbar as well. So it went, ding, no, like, it went straight. I think it went straight it was, in I, the top I corner. I think it right? nicked. I think it nicked the crossbar. Oh, was it a, like very slightly. It went, but it was. It slightly just nicked the crossbar on the way in. Ended at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they only go in them. I never go in. Context. Timing. Strong shout. Absolutely. No, no. You named it. You called it. Or maybe it's just that you only remember them when they go in. So it's either way. The theory is bulletproof. It was a proverbial screamer. Uh, so they're 1-0 City um, and that keeps Liverpool at bay. Yeah. I mean, but, to be honest, I think Liverpool were a little bit fortunate to, to, to beat Newcastle. Yeah. The free kick that led to their third goal was extremely quick. So maybe this one is justice then. So it's no points dropped by the top two for two months now in the Premier League. Absolutely wild. 
and there's a gulf between them and everyone else. There's 20 odd points between them and Chelsea. Um, and then looking at the, the top four and rounding that out, this is a top six battle. You've got Chelsea third, uh, Spurs fourth. Spurs just have to avoid defeat on the last day. To- and I suppose you've got Arsenal and United in some kind of strange... Um... Sorry, the goal difference Sorry. between Spurs and Arsenal is eight. So yeah, obviously Arsenal just... would have to win 5-0. Yeah. Or no, 4-0 actually, because their goal goal scored is better. And Spurs would have to lose 4-0 or what, by 4. You see, what, what strikes me as quite interesting is actually the teams directly below Spurs, you know, United and Arsenal, and where they're set to go from now. Because in some ways, Arsenal have, I think, more to build on. Mm. Uh, although you're losing Ramsey, you're losing Czech, losing Welbeck, these are players who I think have come to the end of a natural cycle. No one's, but no, does that mean no one's leaving before their time? Whereas you know, United, we're going to lose players before our time, and it's never a good, it's never a good sign when a wealthy club is losing very good players sometime before their peak. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe let's touch on Arsenal first. Then yeah, we'll of course, go on please, United. Yeah, so. After uh, they failed to beat Brighton, I wrote a, not a thread, but a little bit of a, f- a few thoughts on a, on the social media network, Twitter. <laughs> Fantastic, yes, fabulous. And uh, you know, quite, you know it? Quite, at, at, quite at, at bad goal, Rai Rai. Yes, a, yes. I had a minor tweet on a Sunday. Amusing. <laughs> and um, I was just kind of thinking, really, because there was I saw a lot of anti-Emery stuff and oh, yeah, you, know, you were all that, yeah. calling for Wenger to go and all this stuff. And I thought, well... Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I'm not sure that Arsenal would have done any worse under Wenger this season. The fact is, you never know. You never know the intangible motivation that maybe a new manager brings. But also, I I just think it felt that losing Bellerin, holding Welbeck to long-term injuries and then ultimately Ramsey from the Napoli game, it just looked like that had caught up with Arsenal. And Injuries it, in places you couldn't really afford them. Not a lot of people would have options like Lacazette and Aubameyang and then a Welbeck to change situations. So Brighton game, prime example, if you could bring Welbeck off the bench in that situation, he is quite a unique profile He's player. superb as a combination you know, player. He's like extremely he's quick. He's extremely strong. He's yeah. extremely good at link-up play. Yeah. But also Bellerin and Holden, I think, even though they were defensive injuries, they had a massive effect on how Arsenal attacked because Bellerin was something like the leading assist uh, maker at the club or or something like that at the time for this season before he got injured, apart from Ramsey maybe or something like that. He was basically had a really high number of assists. I should have looked that style before I said that. But he gives, but Bellerin gives you an extra 10, 15 hours at the pitch. And also, I really think Emery wanted the back three of Koscielny, Socrates and Holding which would then allow them the stability to play Bellerin and Kolasinac. And Kolasinac has been really effective with Awobi going forward for Arsenal. These little combinations that you have all over exactly. the pitch. And I think that when you lose players, you don't just lose the individual. You use the combinations. use the combinations around them and all over the pitch. And they can have knock-on effects further up the pitch, even if they're in a back Do you know who in, in sound the defence. Like? Do you know who you sound like? Do I sound like a dork? No, you sound like Johan Cruyff. Oh my God. Combinations. Do you know, so when I'm just, uh, just fainted. When, <laughs> when Luke Shaw got injured for United, the knock on effect was not only was having the best seasons of his life, but also Memphis Depay didn't have someone to overlap with and his form went off a cliff. Mm. And you make a very good point. Like, maybe we need to look more. And I think Ken Early has encouraged us to do this with a, re- a great piece of the Irish Times recently. Looking at football as a matter of systems, not individuals. And this is why someone like Bernardo Silva is so extraordinary because he's a system player. 
I actually think it's a combination of both. And mm. I think that it depends on the group of individuals you have and where the balance lies between the individuals and the system or where in between the, on the scale that is. I got a reply on Twitter from at Sundiata underscore X saying, remember when people like Vermaelen were injured? And that's something that happens a lot at Arsenal. You know, Theo Walcott's value rocketed when he was injured. And yeah, I hear that point of view. But what I mean by that is it isn't, just the fact that those guys are injured it's the knock-on effects like I said of further up the pitch and all around the pitch but also you are then only asking Ainsley Maitland-Niles who is a young centre midfielder you're only asking him to play right back for a small number of games that are probably games that you can you you basically have options to drop players like Maitland-Niles or Mustafi into a side for games where you would be expected to win yeah it's just basically strength and depth and strength, freshness and, 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 cons- and consistency, like consistently yeah. a core 11. I'm all for rotation to get me wrong. I think it's fantastic. No, I you think look, you need it, but you, I'm just you saying... the great that... Liverpool team when Benitez ran things close mm. that year, I think it was 08 and he just rotated Babel a bit too much, you know, when Babel was in form. I think Liverpool beat Derby 6-0. And then Babel wasn't in the next couple of games. I remember just thinking needs a run of games and mm-hmm. and you, you look at like the what Bellerin was doing and it's so sad that he got injured when he did because I really felt like he was cresting was so key for Arsenal going and forward. I felt I felt like he was due a leap forward you know how there are certain players who a couple of good seasons and then a third season or like Ramsey for example mm. Ramsey a couple of good seasons at Arsenal and then just like absolutely shot and it was, was all, uh, Ramsey don't get me wrong Ramsey's always a seven and a half eight out of ten but that season in particular um, but 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 to Arsenal again, back to them, just circling around back to them because I want to talk about them a little bit longer. To me, it's quite exciting actually for Arsenal because you've got those players coming up from injury. Mustafi's not had the best season, but the beauty of that is it's created a certainty about whether he should stay or go. Mm. You have two of the best forwards in Europe, really, Lacazette and Aubameyang. That's a great base to build on. Whether Ursel stays or goes, you know, it, much and much, but, but you've got something to work with there. You've really got, I think, the core of a team that could do something quite interesting next year, I think. Uh, yeah, there are concerns. There's concerns about ownership and there's concerns around Ozil now who, I, yeah, despite him having only two Premier League assists this season, he still created just over half a chance less a game, I think, than Eden Hazard. He's only made 20 starts this season, Ozil, which isn't a lot. I'm not kind of saying let him off the hook, you expect more from him or he's going to need to deliver a little bit more, Mm. you know? And yeah, there are undoubtedly concerns. Maybe there's concerns over the budget to spend, but I think that players like Reese Nelson coming back may be a real bonus. I mean, yeah, again, kind of going back to, I'm I'm just not entirely sure. I'm not, it wouldn't surprise me to really see it click. And it also wouldn't really surprise me to see it massively implode in a way, because it's just, there's a weird, there's a weird energy around Arsenal. Yeah, and, I noticed from the outside because I look from the outside and I look, oh, that looks like it's going somewhere. But then you look a bit closer, listen to the podcast, and there's a sense of uncertainty or lack of identity. I you, know. you know what it is? It's just because nothing is cut and dried. Right. Nothing is ever cut and dried with Arsenal. And if it was, if it was, it would be a hell of a lot easier to deal with in a way. It's always just almost there. I'm not saying I would rather this happen because I quite enjoy Arsenal having good players and being towards the top of the league. But it's almost like if you did like using the basketball kind of term, rebuild. Yeah. At least you knew where you were at. Yeah. You know, 
Whereas despite all of this disappointment and this negativity that's been building in the last few weeks, and don't get me wrong, I've, just to clarify, I also finished off that kind of thing about the missing players by saying, I still think they should have taken more than four points from their last 18 and got over the line in, yeah, in, yeah, in top four, 100%. But <laughs> after all of this, they might still end up having their most successful season since 2004. Absolutely nuts. The right. problem is, the problem is, it's not quite. I think Arsenal and United, to an extent, now actually, no, United, our problems are more drastic. Arsenal have long had what I call the seventy percent problem, which is basically you look at the teams, the team sheet, and the squad. You're like, oh, that team is, yeah, that team's a good. The two team. more players syndrome. They just yeah, need two players in the summer. Do you know summer. what I mean? Yeah, seventy percent the way there, and it's dangerous because actually that's a good amount to be there. Yeah. But if you're always on the edge, you're never quite there. And what I th- that's why I was so happy for Spurs beating City in the Champions League because. It was that leap forward. Spurs really arrived when they beat City. You know, whatever happens against Ajax, for Spurs to come up against a team of that quality over two legs and beat them, that's not, that's not like some random cut knockout in the FA Cup. That is a strategic, that is an elite competition. And so for me, I'm like, I'm so happy for Pochettino. The great video when he's celebrating the dressing room, mm. we've seen it. What I love about that is the way he's so old school. It's like he's celebrating like after, you know, like you go to those pubs after like you've won a trophy or something and you have the lock-in. Mm. Pochettino there was behaving like someone at a lock-in actually on that tip bit of a tangent but yeah, after, the, after the Dortmund Schalke game back in Gelsenkirchen there was a video came out of Hub Stevens sat in the corner of the local pub full of Schalke fans Amazing. in his Schalke tracksuit just quietly sipping on a pills oh I love those stories it's funny because there was a pub in uh, Munich there was a bar in Munich that went, when Bastian Schweinsteiger would finish uh, buying games, he'd go and drink afterwards and no one would bother him. Mm. And I, I just love stories. Like that. I love stories about players being in their communities. And the the reason I mentioned the Pochettino video was because it, it was that kind of connection that you don't always see sometimes between the players mm. and the coaches. And you know they've got the passion, but you don't often see that connection between the players, the coaches and the fans. I've seen a lot of videos recently or interviews with Poch. Um kind of, you know, these more low-key or more relaxed things that you don't really get on, you know, post-game and stuff like yeah. that. And he just comes across as being comes across completely, as great. totally mega. We didn't deserve, look, I, I said that as a United fan, we did not deserve Pochettino. And what I mean by that is, Pochettino deserves structures that enable his very best work. Yeah. And United did not have anything like the structures for him. They didn't approach him with anything like the right kind of grace. Do you know what I mean? There was no sense of the recruitment process. And it, I'll, I'll say this quickly about United. The recruitment process, absolutely haphazard. And I said this in the podcast before, and I think I'm being proved right. They made that appointment too quickly of Solskjaer, the permanent yeah. one. I said that at the time. I, I said, mean, we spoke about, I think it was the last podcast before you went. Yeah, We yeah, did exactly. a bit of a deep thing on United. We did. I don't want to get too much into but it. But we can obviously now re-evaluate based on the rest of the season. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look, Huddersfield, United draw against Huddersfield and that's the only point that relegated side has got from the top six all season. That says it all, actually. Solskjaer talking about a clean out. Now, here's my thing. I think that United at some level, they had two options. Either they had to appoint Solskjaer or, in my opinion, I said this on the podcast before, they could have waited till the end of the season. Now, if they waited till the end of the season, the form would have dipped, I think, anyway, as it has now. And they quietly could have said, do you know what? It was really great. You gave it a great shout. See you later. Like, let's have a parting of the ways. Because that would have allowed the kind of obsession with nostalgia to die down. I think it is. A, I've said this before, like it was mm. great beating PSG, but my concern on that podcast was always like, this has happened too soon. 
we've got a few questions about yeah, sure. this. There's one from at Ed Mystery, who uh, I know Ed. Who's the bigger joke, United or Arsenal? And are either of them better off in the Europa League rather than the Champions League next season? Who does Ed support? I don't know. Am I allowed to disclose who it Ed supports? No, it doesn't really He supports matter. the same team as you do. It doesn't really matter um, who he supports. I think what it is, I think unfortunately United's ownership now, I think a joke is, is just, a joke is almost, it almost trivializes. I mean, it's it kind of goes against everything we opened the podcast it's with. A in profound, terms of it's a profound, it's not that simple. Yeah. United have a profound structural problem with the ownership. And the problem is the ownership don't actually like football. If you own an asset that you don't understand or truly enjoy, then when the asset starts underperforming, you don't have no idea how to fix it. It's what Donald Rumsfeld once called the unknown unknowns. They don't know what they don't know. And they look at Ed Woodward bringing all these incredible figures, flow charts for like, you know, sponsorships. And they're not involved in football. They're not watching a single game. But they're not at the games all the time. So they're not really too bothered as long as the debt's being serviced and the money's coming in. Woodward is, unfortunately, I think, a little bit of a charlatan. I think he is great on the commercial side, but I just don't understand. Someone that worked in the investment banking world does not understand the ability or the need to delegate. And I think actually, funny enough, I think that Edward would enjoys the celebrity of it. I think he enjoys being a deal maker. I think he feels he's been very entrepreneurial on the football side. Bringing Solskjaer feels like a master coup. I think he just got carried away with it. I think he got carried away. United are in greater trouble than Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, in terms of who the bigger joke is, I think it depends on who you support, basically. But I don't think United are better off in the Europa League at all. I think that the last thing United wanted to become was a Champions League yo-yo team. I think for a club like Manchester United, they could sustain a couple of years outside of the Champions League. But when they get back in it, they have to be back in it. Do you know what's going to happen? United could become into Milan. I said this before. The only difference is actually it'd be worse because Massimo Moratti actually loved football. Oh, no, he loved football. For all his flaws at Inter, he loved football. But unfortunately, United could go the way of AC. Mm. It's, it's very, very plausible. I mean, we had another question from James Mason at JD Mason 8. It said, Arsenal and Manchester United are struggling, both with two managers who are the antithesis of their predecessor in most aspects. At what point do the players shoulder the majority of the blame? I'm not convinced by this players take the blame thing. Do you know why I say that? Coaches in the Premier League turn out their teams to a very high level of specification. You have coaches of the brilliance of Hasenhuttl, right? Brilliant. You have Neil Warnock, who is brilliant in certain, in certain respects. You have Roy Hodgson. There are coaches every single week in the Premier League who are bringing their A game, right? And even with the best players, I mean, look, look, at, look at City tonight, classic example. Miguel Delaney is a fantastic, you know, commentator, writer. He knows his onions and he tips City on their form to win 3-1 tonight. They won 1-0 with a narrow victory. And that's not criticising Miguel, it's quite the opposite. On any given night, if you're 20% below your best, a well-coached team will mm. trump you. Even with the huge amount of money that City have or United have ahead of other play teams in the league. You know what I'm saying with this? The quality of the coaching can level things out. I never really think it's overwhelmingly the players' fault. I think that if you go out as a very gifted team without any real structure or sense of what you're doing, a well-coached team or drilled team will hold you to a draw at the very least. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That explains why, why Crystal Palace have done so well this year. Yeah. Because Crystal Palace have been superbly coached and they've absolutely maximised their resources. Yeah. United, you don't know if you're coming or going. And there's so many ill-fitting parts in that squad that I know, let's use a basketball quote again because we've referenced Barcelona a lot tonight. 
the intangibles of a squad. Mm. If you have a, a, a Crystal Palace squad where every single player knows their role week in, week out, as opposed to United where you've got this top heavy forward line and then United now are talking about signing Dembele from Lyon, which would be an absurd signing given they're so top heavy forwards anyway. I'm not going to put it this way. I'm not going to blame players on the whole for that because I think that's a cop-out. Yeah. Because look, everyone everyone said Chelsea were like, the players had a mutiny. The same players that got rid of certain managers won a league title a year later. Not because they sacked off, but because they weren't being drilled properly. They weren't coordinating properly. Conte had that same problem. What did he do? He was playing the wrong system for the players, changed it around and then just yeah. soared. And yeah. I think ultimately players obviously want to win. They so do, exactly. I yeah. think they, they would, you know, unless you have a manager who's a, an absolute nightmare, right. then I think that they will do their best in order to kind of make it work. Yeah. Generally speaking, players are proud. They go out in front of 40,000, 50,000, 70,000 fans every week and they're not going to, oh yeah, let's, let's lose this to get the boss sacked. No, it's not how it works. Players must be able, as far as they can, to play with freedom. Mm. And if they can't play with freedom, the self-doubt creeps in, the mistakes creep in, and that's, that's the kind of tactical apocalypse. That's what's happening at United. We have spoke quite a long time on this section. Oops, sorry. Okay, well. Should we take a break and then yeah, you can to listen say. to Michael and I talking Bundesliga and then you and I will come back later? Yeah, let's do that. I'd let's like to have a quick break. Yeah. Have a little lie down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Michael's here. We're going to talk Bundesliga. Hey. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was crazy, crazy weekend. I think this was the weekend that Dortmund threw away the title finally. It, they've been promising to do that for a little while. I really thought they would come through this. I mean, 2 0 up against Werder Bremen with how long to go? Not long to go. And they threw it away. I mean, it's a, it's a real shame as a neutral to see that happen, um, especially the, the goals that they conceded were just completely avoidable. One was a Berkey error and the other one was a Kanji, I think, failing to clear. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it was so avoidable. I mean, four points clear now, Bayern. They beat Hanover, as you'd expect. Not overly convincing, though. Yeah, what, what they need to do is match match Dortmund's result on the weekend coming up. Yeah, and they've, and done, they've it. done it. Yeah, they've got two tough games, it must be said, away to Leipzig, uh, which Dortmund only scrape through 1-0 the only team to beat them this season at home in the league I think right Dortmund. yes true and then you've got uh, Frankfurt which I would have said is a tough game <laughs> um, but yeah maybe we'll get onto that in a minute yeah I think this is the worst Bayern side to win the title during this period of six successful defences which is crazy stuff doesn't They're look good for the Bundesliga yeah I mean they're not a very good team this Bayern team well I disagree I think that they are but I think that transition is quite hard to manage yeah. whether that's a manager or whether that's a, a kind of group of players people underestimate how much time things take this Bayern team isn't by any means the best Bayern team that we've seen but they're still pretty good you look through that squad they've had a lot of injuries this season as well and they should still be winning the league mm. compared to the other teams below them. But I don't think it's any coincidence that they've looked better since Christmas, for example. You know, Injuries have affected them um, badly, that's true. But I think if you put that Bayern team in the Premier League, I think they struggle to finish fourth. Uh, maybe. 
it speaks volumes of the, the Bundesliga that Bayern are having such a bad season. Maybe they're not a bad team, but they're just not an exciting team. They're not that functional either. Um, I think the Premier League's such an anomaly, though. I think Jurgen Klopp did an interview with DW a couple of weeks ago, and he said that if you put that top six in any other league in Europe, yeah. they'll take up six of the top eight, probably. Mm. It must also be said that this Dortmund team are ahead of schedule in terms of their development. Many of their best players are under 21, certainly under 25. So you would think that they're going to come back strongly again. And Torgan Hazard, if that goes through, is a solid signing, especially as Pulisic has been largely anonymous for, for this season. Um, He's got a great goal at the weekend, though. Yeah, it was good. It was like a, a kind of flash of what he can do. Um, but that just hasn't been seen enough this year. So, yeah, I'm confident that we could have another good title race next year. But Bayern, of course, will be strengthening, especially defensively. And that's where they've been... Uh, weakest yeah. this year. I mean, um, saying that though, I mean, I was at Hertha Stuttgart on the weekend. Yeah, how was that? Mm, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stuttgart is just not a very good side, and their position in the table suggests that that is true. Yeah, I well, mean, they're going to be in the playoff, and looks like they well, they could play Hamburg, they could play Union, Union, and for the first time in a while, I kind of fancy the Bundesliga's right team to make a difference and win that. Yeah, which, by the way, is the most pointless. I, know. I just wish they put three up and send three down. Yeah, it just makes complete sense. But yeah, Benjamin Pavard, he's coming to Bayern. Hernandez. Hernandez as well. But, you know, you'd expect someone like Pavard to really stand out in that Stuttgart side. Mm. And he didn't really. <laughs> Against not an incredibly potent Hertha attack, let's say. Yeah. You know, they won quite comfortably in the end. Yeah. But... Interesting to see where he plays in the Bayern defence, Pavard. Yeah. Whether he plays in the middle with Sula or probably at right back. But then you have Joshua Kimmich. Who's... Move him into midfield, perhaps. Whoa, I don't know. Yeah. I think he's such a good right back, though. No, he is. He is. I think centre-back is probably the best place for Pavard. Yeah. So quickly on Dortmund, before we move on. Been a really weird season for them because it's been kind of great and kind of terrible at the same time. Yeah. They've had so many injuries. And like you said, they've got other young team still but the game against Verda was kind of like uh, their whole season <laughs> in one game yeah. they should have been 4-0 up at half time yeah Dortmund remind me a bit of Liverpool actually of like a year or two ago before they signed Van Dijk and Alisson they have a really potent attack they just pour forward like they're just unapologetic in how they just fearlessly attack opponents mm. almost as crazy as Bosch Coates <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite as bad but well, I said um, I said to Jonathan Harding on Twitter that this this Dortmund side remind me a little bit of that Arsenal side of the late 2000s yeah. who were kind of quite young yeah. could be brilliant but are just so <laughs> naive yeah basically and they just can't manage games at all and yeah and I think Dortmund really they just need a there's a couple of positions they could strengthen in but I think a, a, a top quality centre back and Roman Burke you know, he's a tricky one he's capable of great performances and there's times when he's kept them in games and won them points single handedly but then there's other times when he's just done the complete opposite and just thrown it away and the one thing you need in a keeper we've spoken about Hugo Lloris a few weeks ago on this podcast you need consistency and Berkey if you're being really, really hypercritical and you, you know, Dortmund are only going to lose the title by three, four points, maybe he needs replacing. I don't know. I, I, I just think that this season, I don't think that Dortmund haven't won the league because of him. No, no. And I think that actually, you know, that obviously they've thrown away a huge lead, but yeah. the fact that they are still so close is down to a lot of his work this season. And I just think it's really hard for a goalkeeper to play behind a not great defence. and yeah. They're young though. That defence is young and I think like we saw Akanji make a big mistake at the weekend. It's just the timing of it is is really unfortunate but he's one for the future. If we're talking about Dortmund here and now 
I think they need to improve that defence. Yeah. Well, but, um, and they've also had loads of turnover for the defenders this season. They haven't really had a settled back four all mm. season because, you know, uh, Hakimi was like out for the rest of the season from yeah. a few weeks ago. Zagadou's not been in form and been dropped. They've had Julian Weigl play in centre back. Yeah. They've had yeah. Kanji. They've had who else has they had? Oh my god, there's so many people. Well, Piszczek was injured for a lot of it. Marius Wolf got yeah um, suspended for the rest of the season. There's yeah, they haven't been able to play their first choice back four probably since late last year, yeah. early this year. And Rafa Guerrero is back at left back, you know, <laughs> so it's like the good old time. Yeah, yeah Dortmund, I mean, yeah, they, they, I think there are better days ahead for them if they can if they can keep this team together and add to it. But a team like Dortmund, you know, there's there's going to be other teams circling for some of that talent. And we've spoken about Sancho before. I think he'll stay at least for another season. But, you know, there's a few of them that are in demand. Yeah. Let's move on to the wildest game of the weekend. Not just in Germany, by the way. Worldwide. <laughs> of course, we're talking about Bayer Leverkusen 6, Frankfurt 1. After 36 minutes. 36 minutes. You only needed to watch first 36 minutes of this game. Unbelievable game. Every single time Leverkusen poured forward, they scored. It was nuts. And they were committing like five men to every attack. Uh, they were just completely overwhelming Frankfurt. Frankfurt were terrible, it must be said. They, they just, looked knackered, didn't they? They looked exhausted. But then when they were 5-1 down... Adi Huta made two substitutions, double sub with a few minutes to go in the first half. Brings on Jovic, who going to be off to Real Madrid, I think, in the summer for 60 million euros. Very, very talented player. Left him out. Um, I think he was resting him though, right? He was resting him. But then the players that he brought off were not players that are going to play on Thursday against Chelsea. Mm. They were ineligible. So that made absolutely no sense. Hard to make substitutions that are going to get you back from 6-1 down. Just don't bother, yeah. I <laughs> just mean, leave it's it. too little too late. I mean, we spoke about Leverkusen very early on in the season. Yeah. Just before Bosch took over. Yeah. But they really, really struggled but, early on. But yeah, they did. And I thought the firing of Heiko Herlich was a little rash, but no one can argue with it now. When Peter Bosch gets it right, he gets it really right. That's it. This was his dream performance. Concede what? Even if he conceded two, he wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Like his teams were attacking. It was one, they caught Frankfurt at a good time. Frankfurt were poor. But yeah, this Leverkusen team now are breathing down the necks of Frankfurt for fourth. They're level on and points now, I think, right? They're level on points and the goal difference has been uh, boosted. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you've got to back. Leverkusen now. Poor Frankfurt, though. I mean, now a bit like many of the other teams that remain in the Europa League, they have to win it to stay in the Champions League um, or to get into the Champions League. So, yeah, there's a lot on the line there for, for a few of them. Bit of love for a couple of my sons, Julian Brandt and Kai Havertz. Yeah, I mean, the pair of them, the way they link up is great. They just have like this this understanding which bodes so well for the German national team. Yeah, well. and Brandt is really cl so clearly like an older brother out of that, those two, you yeah. can really, really tell. There was a thing I saw, it was one of these kind of YouTube things where they do some skills challenges and it's them two. And you can just tell the whole relationship is that Brandt is like the, the older brother and yeah. Kai and also how how much Havertz like really respects him I as a player. Ha I think Havertz might be off to Bayern quite soon. I really hope he doesn't because... <sighs> I just really hope he doesn't. Basically, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not even gonna clarify Again, why. Well, I mean, gonna... I think it's. I think it's clear. I mean, if the best players in the Bundesliga keep going to Bayern, then it reduces the league as a spectacle. But having said that, the top players want to be at the top clubs winning things, and that's understandable. Talk of another guy who might be on the move. Who I think he doesn't get enough love. I don't think Kevin Holland. Mm. 
massively underrated player. Yeah, I think I would say so. I don't think he's quite at that level that Brandt and Havertz are at. He's super um, effective though. He is, he is. He contributes so much and his work often goes, like, you know, a bit like for a long time, Firmino wasn't rated mm. as highly as he should have been because of the all-round contribution he makes to the attack and defence for that matter. Volland really puts in a shift every yeah. time. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's a good player. Quickly, Bundesliga 2. It's heating up. Uh, so Hamburg lose 3-0 at home to Ingolstadt on Saturday afternoon, which put automatic promotion in Union's hands. For the Union first Berlin. time ever. <laughs> they went and lost 2-1 at Darmstadt. So they are now in the, as we mentioned before, the playoff qualifier. Two games to go. Mm. And also it should be said as well that Paderborn had a great chance to tighten their grip on second. And on Friday night, they lost 2-0 at their local bitter rivals, Armenia Bielefeld. Um, That's a good result for Bielefeld. Huge for them, but Paderborn really blew it as well. So a bit like the race for third and fourth in the Premier League, no one seems to want to Grab it. <laughs> also in the Frauen Bundesliga, Wolfsburg wrapped up the double. Yes. Another double. Yes. Third in a row. They are the team to beat, right? They are. They they wrapped it up with a game to go. So yeah. after beating Freiburg in the cup last week. In a way, they're kind of like Bayern in the men's game, you know, really dominant in the league. But Leon are so, so good. Mm. I think just playing them in the Champions League really hurt Wolfsburg. I think mm. that knocked them back. So it's good that they've won the league and actually Bayern have stuttered a bit recently. And, but and the Champions League final is... Uh, in Budapest on the 18th of May. Okay. Any more Germany stuff? No, nah, I don't think so. Okay. You need to run for a plane. I do. Get out of here. Forever on the move. <laughs> All right, man. Come back soon. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Back from the break, and as you heard in that last segment, we have a delighted Wolfsburg Frauen Ultra back in the studio. Absolutely, yeah, the Ultras. We've uh, clinched the double. Um, He's wearing—he is wearing green, actually. Uh, we've got a few more questions, maybe to go through. Please, yeah, go for it. This one from Neil Sedgwick: Is Rafa staying at Newcastle? Brackets. Please give me hope. I'm very nervous. It hasn't been sorted yet. Oh, I don't know about. This. I hope he does. I'm not sure. You know, I can't because. It's so hard to read, isn't it? I mean, is he getting the resources he needs? I think he's done actually a really good job. He's done an amazing job. A really, no, he's, and, he's done an amazing he's job. Just a at fantastic, he's a fantastic manager as well. Should have got, should have got, United should have got him. I'm joking. Yeah, I know. No, 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 no. I, I don't wish a badly run club on any manager. It's really sad when you see. But he's, at, he's at Newcastle, which is kind of. Well, but yeah, but still, well, you know, when you see like a young player, like, oh, like Gerard Felix, says, don't come to United for the next two, three years. No, I, I, I know that sounds. You know Gerard Felix should go. Bundesliga. Ooh. Go to Dortmund. Jao, if you're listening, can, can take you, you and your ball boy brother. Gerard Felix at Dortmund. That would be adorable. His brother. Oh, that'd be adorable. The ball boy in the crowd. Oh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Emotional emotions. I love that video. That's one of my favorite videos. It's of the so, season, wonderful. so yeah, wonderful. If anyone who missed that, we mentioned it when Charles Felix scored a goal a few weeks ago and went and celebrated with his little brother who was a ball boy at the game. That was so adorable. It was brilliant. Okay, one more question from Ola underscore Fizio. What's been the biggest power shift in terms of tactics that you've noticed this season? Fullbacks. And how do you see that shift developing for next season? Fullbacks. See, I've got I've got a different answer. Hit me with it. Well, I know about your fullback thing. There was, you know, there was a I mean, really great piece I read about this called The Age of the Fullback. Oh my goodness, really? Where was that on? Yeah, it's by a guy called Musak Wong. It's on the Rabona <laughs> site. <laughs> oh, gee. Oh, 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 oh. Well, it's funny because that was at the start of the season. Yeah. But it's been borne out, I think, by 
if you look how the loss of a fullback has def- has defined Arsenal's season to a large extent, yeah, and the relationship between you know it's outside the Premier League, but Jordi Alba and Messi has been extraordinary for Barcelona. Yeah, there could be an argument about the lack of. I mean, I want to I want to get I want to get back to you on this, but what I love about Barcelona is they've sacrificed match control in some cases mm. for more directness. You could argue that's been a shift in one sense. You know, almost like the principle of Gagan pressing being. It doesn't matter who has the ball as long as the ball's in the right part of the pitch. Could argue that. Um, but I yeah, think, yeah, I think the reliance on possession is moving away from where it was a few years ago. Absolutely, sure. yeah. But you were going to say you had an idea about this. Well, it's not a power shift because not everyone's doing it, but it's Ajax, basically. Using their Champions League form as a real example, I think that so many top teams are so focused on system and repetition and Ajax are super fluid. Well, it's like 95 Ajax. It's like... Yeah, it's but Van I Hart. think now it's really standalone and actually I think that's why a lot of the teams that they've beaten in the Champions League have struggled so much against them because no one plays like that against them with no. those kind of players. So, for example, there'll be one instance where you think that Neres and Ziyech have swapped wings but actually they're on the same side and the reason they're on the same side is because that's what the opposition formation has led them to determine is the best place to be in. They're all collectively creating their own system in real time, not on a training pitch. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it makes perfect sense. You know what I love about this? Uh, It reminds me of, um, you know, when when Johan Cruyff does that brilliant moment where he's showing everyone what a diamond is on a chalkboard Mm. and everyone's going, oh, I know what a diamond is. It's a 424 or whatever. And, and, And Cruyff says, no, a diamond you're constantly creating diamonds all over the field. And there's that amazing Ajax moment where, I mean, and Cruyff, wherever he is, must be loving this Ajax team. The second half against Juventus, with that incredible move that everyone shared on social media where you see them playing down the right, Frankie de Jong, instead of starting the move off. And this poor Juventus player isolated on the flank and they play a triangle of passes yeah. around him. And then there's a back heel in from, from, I think, Tadic and they switch the ball left and they've taken, they've played like, the ball in three triangles and all of a sudden they've then created room for the creativity. And this is what, you know, Ajax 95 as well under, under Van Hal had that incredible mix of the systemic players who could also be incredible soloists. Does it that make is, sense? Yeah, generally it is. It is, and I don't want to sound like a massive cliche here, but it is total football. It is, absolutely. There was a yeah. period for yeah. five minutes in the Spurs-Ajax game last week where Frankie Dion was left back because that was the best place for him to keep getting on the ball and they just played it around a little bit and then he moved up. That's total football. And actually there's a lot of midfielders who do do that, but it's for a couple of couple of minutes in the game or whatever. Is it the second or third goal that Turkey, that Spain scored against Turkey? I think it was the Euros where Spain beat Turkey 3-0. I think it was the second goal by Murata, second or third goal, where Iniesta receives the ball in the left back position and plays the ball forward. Mm. And you just see the move being constructed. And what Ajax do and what they're building is so it's so complex and it's so elegant, but also so, what's the word? Um, it's jazz, man. It, it is, it is. It's John Coltrane or Farrah, well, Farrah Sanders are my preference. It's Farrah Sanders, but you know, it's John Coltrane. I was going to say Sunra. I like that even more. Because it's wild. I mean, yeah, we need to get some Sunra on this podcast. Can well, you my, imagine well, the my, whole well, Ajax my, squad as the orchestra or with their like crazy get The Ajax orchestra. You have to write that. You have to I've write already, I've already done an IX jazz piece. I can't do another one. I can't, yeah. can't be a one-trip pony. 
you say that, but it's I am a that's how I get the big bucks. That's how I get the big bucks. <laughs> oh, Moostock Wagga's back with another oh, sorry. Marvel. Oh, no. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, but what I will say is, um, yeah, in answer to that question, that's a hell of a power shift. And IX, I think, is the more exciting one and maybe a true one. So let's go. Let's get on to some other stuff before we go. Yep. Women's FA Cup, Man City won. Bit of a consolation for them missing out on the league title. Despite being undefeated in domestic competition, I think this season West Ham put up a a really like terrific fight. The thing about West about Man City was it was just the clinical nature of the goals. I mean, to be honest, West Ham getting to the final is such an incredible achievement. Anyway, right? I think it would have been a big, big ass for them to upset. Yeah, there was a brilliant. There was a picture going around where Georgia Stanway went to the FA Cup final when she was oh I didn't uh, see in it. the oh. kids team at Blackburn, and she met. Steph Horton. Oh, fantastic. And then now she's playing in the I final with that. Steph and scoring. I actually, I did go to a women's FA Cup final once a while back. It was at the Derby Stadium. Okay. It was at Everton. It was at Arsenal 2 Everton 1, I think it was. And Rachel Yankee just bossed it. It was oh a, a 4-3-3 Yankee. and Yankee was just like, unbe- I mean, that, that to a total footballer, mm. there is someone who could have played in any position. Like more Arsenal that, legend. Actually, that- on that tip, if anyone's missed last week's podcast, I had a big chat with Tim Stillman about Arsenal women. women He's on women uh, Twitter at, at Stilberto. At Stilberto, yeah. Yeah, yeah, writes for Ars Blog yeah, about Arsenal women. Yeah, it was a really good chat, actually. Just really informative about people, if people may not have understood the whole context of the season and how impressive a win that was but mm. yeah um, obviously we've got the Champions League coming up this week we're probably not going to do a Champions League podcast this week I'm going to Valencia Arsenal that'd be exciting Thursday. my first time at Mestalla Valencia's meant to be glorious town as well but La Liga has been exciting at the bottom oh yeah say. Raya went down and Wesker but Kelter hanging in there yeah the rest of them are hanging in but yeah, yeah. it's got to that time when yeah people you like are getting are going and they, uh, we like them all that's the thing that's the truth oh, I love La Liga but we're going to save that for a big big end of season roundup maybe should we do a Rabona end of season awards of course yeah no we'll save it for the roundup but yeah no, that, I think that's uh, I think we're almost uh, I think we are done I think we're and done we're, we're recording this straight after Manchester City and Musa has not yet been home after his travel so yeah, we, this should, is true, actually. I think we should let you go to sleep um, just a quick one if you are on iTunes please give us a rating and a review. And also we should be, by the time you're listening to this, back on Stitcher. So if you are an Android user, apparently there's a lot of people who like Stitcher. Right. So we should be back on Stitcher. We're back normal now. You're back now, right? I'm back, back, yeah. Sure. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back. I'm actually back. Uh, so we'll definitely be back next Monday. Anything else? No, that's all good. It's goodbye from me. That's good five from you. <laughs> <laughs> tell a friend, tell an enemy. Catch you soon. Thank you so much. Bye.